No, we're just going to talk through this intro. Just talk through the whole intro? Yeah. Just for the hell of it? Just for the hell of it. Now do your accent. All right, I'm about to do accent, everybody. Here we go. Hello, hello, hello. That's Cockney. Hello. No, I was Pop thinking it. I wanted you That's to like do an Australian. Part hello. Of the Caribbean. Hello. 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 And well, I guess you to... should do like an English accent. Exactly. I'm sorry. I didn't think it through. Anyone who just started listening, if this is the first time listening to us, this is accurate. This is pretty much this it. Is <laughs> it. This is what you get. Okay. Yeah. We're not going to pretend. Hello and welcome to the Rainy Day Smut Brigade, the <laughs> podcast where we dissect spicy books and talk about the plot too. We want to remind you that this podcast is for mature audiences only. So if you are here, we are talking about all the orgasms. Stick around and don't forget to leave us a five-star review on whatever streaming service you listen to. Hannah, it is I am your turn to so speak. proud of you for that. Why? You, you were even so, you were like even like your posture. Proper posture. I did. Yeah, you were like <laughs> straight back, shoulders back, boobs out. Oh, okay. That's great. I read Harry Potter at night and I use the British accent. And I do it the oh. different. So when I read it, the well, no one wants to hear me do a British accent. Try it. No. Absolutely not. Now. No. <laughs> I don't even know how to. All right. Your turn, Allie. Do I try it? Hello. Keep going. What else would you like me to say? <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm very proud of you. Y'all just sound so My like accents are better when I'm around whatever oh. it is. Oh, you can mimic? Yeah. yeah. Like, I can mimic so yes, well. It's so bad because when I go other places, like, then I start like having an accent like them and I'm like, this is probably so offensive because I'm go probably Scotland, wrong. But you d- sometimes you don't even know you're doing it. Yeah. Oh, God. If I'm talking to someone who speaks Spanish as a first language, mm-hmm. oh, it's so hard for me. Or when I go to Scotland, I will start speaking with a Scottish little. I cannot help it. And my sister sounds Scottish when she comes back. And then yeah. the longer she's here, she'll start throwing it. It'll yeah. fade. And she goes back and she's Scottish again. <laughs> you can't help it. You, you can't. start yeah. speaking. It's yeah. Mm, yeah. Just how our brains work. This week, we are honored to have the author of our book with us, Beautiful Things by Emily Rath. Emily is a best-selling international author who lives in Florida with her family, where she is a professor. She holds a PhD in peace studies and political science. She has written multiple books falling into what she and her fans call the Emilyverse. Which I believe we're all a part of now. Yeah. We're all yeah. a part of the Emily. We are all we deep into the Emily verse. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for talking with us today. So I found your TikTok about a year ago and you just really drew me in because one of the first things I saw you talking about was the pretzel. You were talking about your polyamory pretzel, and that was just like my love language, and so you really drew me in. When we started the podcast, I knew that I wanted to do one of your books, so I wrote it down. We started in January, and so I was like, oh, we'll do beautiful things. This will be perfect, but we came closer to the recording date, and I was like, frick, she's like just releasing a brand new book like two weeks before we record this, but anyways, that's just for the future. And I will say, the more I looked at your website to learn more about you for the podcast, I was like, I just want her to be my best friend. And I'm going to try and refrain from turning this into a political commentary <laughs> now I that I know you we're have gonna, a we're gonna get there a little bit. political science degree and live in Florida, but I'm not making any promises. No, I'm pretty sure we're going to get gonna there succeed. at some point. <laughs> She's not going to succeed, Emily. Hello. Welcome, Emily. Thank you for being on. Yes. Thank you so much. much. So excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. So on your website, you said that you've been writing books since you were young. So what made you decide to go all the way and publish a book? Yeah, so it it really started me writing a book to completion that I felt was like good enough for the market. It started when I was finishing up my PhD and I was actually living in Malawi in Africa and internet is crazy expensive. Mm-hmm. And so my wild imagination, I was like, if I sit here and stream shows on my laptop, I will go broke. <laughs> and so I was like, what can I do that will let my imagination do something, right? And so I I was like, oh, I can't watch things. I can write things. And so I really dove in and started writing a first real take at a book that I thought could get published. Went through that process, queried it, was trying to go the trad market Mm -hmm. route. And then I wrote another book and actually 
again, was in the query trenches with that one. And then the pandemic hit. And it was really just like sitting there watching everything come to a halt. My life was coming to a halt. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I really need some joy. I'm sitting in these query trenches. And I was just like, I'm going to follow that joy. And I'm going to write a book just for me. If no Mm -hmm. one else, like when I told my friends what the idea was, because it was beautiful things. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm going to write this spicy Bridgerton, but make it five times spicier, Mm -hmm. make it queer, make it a polyam pretzel. We're just going to go bananas with this thing. (laughs) And I was, but I was like, I'm living my best pandemic life. I got nothing else to do. This is going to make me happy and no one else. Mm -hmm. Because I told some of my author friends and they were like, no one's going to read that. There's no market for that. No one's going to read it. And I was like, little bit they know. I don't care. (laughs) And I wrote it. And that's what I ended up actually getting published first because the trad market takes so long. Mm -hmm. I am still, I am on submission with that same project. Like I have an agent, we have it on submission. I have written and published six other books and now I'm international bestseller. While the trad market is just sitting there. They all have my book in their boxes. They're just not checking their emails. So it's like, why wait? Yeah, that's awesome. And look how you're doing on your own. You're I'm so am. proud of you. Myself. You're like my inspiration. Like that's where I want to be in like three years. Like yeah. Emily Rath. Yeah. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. on submission for querying with my, it's a Finnish fantasy book that I did. I also did a workshop called Writing with the Soul with Adrian Young. And one of the kind of lessons that we did in that was where we talked about no one is going to take you seriously as an author until you take yourself seriously as an author. So the idea of like, if you want this to be your full-time job, you have to treat it like your full-time job. If you want to get published, then publish. Why are you waiting to get published? Publish. And so it's like, no one took me seriously till I took me seriously. And I take myself very seriously. And now I feel like the hard work that I've put in has paid off and here I am. Oh, it absolutely has. That's the best advice I think you can give someone. I have a friend who's a bookstagrammer who wants to be an author and she has probably written about three books over the last five years. I just met her in the last year, but she is scared to death to indie publish to self-publish so she's just querying all of them and no one has read them and she is so down on herself because she keeps getting these rejections and I'm like just self-publish one like you have everything done self-publish it but she won't do it and I feel so bad I'm scared she's gonna end up just kicking the whole thing to the wayside yeah it's tough I have quite a few friends as well that are still you know it the trad pub journey is such a dream it's Mm -hmm. such a dream and people have this idea of that's the only legitimate way to publish Mm -hmm. but the pandemic has changed so much. Yes. Like you've seen, you've seen the way the market has changed and book talk has changed mm-hmm. so much about the mm-hmm. industry that anymore, like I only hooked my agent after beautiful things had come out mm-hmm. and she saw the success that it like that it was having mm-hmm. and that in particular the show Bridgerton was having she was at an international conference and there were all these international buyers that were like where's the spicier Bridgerton if you find spicier Bridgerton we want to buy it and so she had me in her inbox for this Finnish fantasy but she (laughs) knew I had also just done this wackadoodle (laughs) thing and so she was like oh this is spicier Bridgerton right and it's like yes it is (laughs) most definitely she she signed me then I because I'm not convinced she would have signed me for just the Finnish book she signed me on my indie project and within a week we had sold it for, for these audio rights and everything because it's like she knew she could sell me and mm-hmm. so she picked me up she picked two of my friends up because they did indie and they showed that they it's like mm-hmm. betting on a winning horse right you show yeah. that you're a winner and then agents will pick you up and mm-hmm. so that's why so many of these indie authors are starting indie and they're getting picked up by trad publishers because it's like I can do it on my own right mm-hmm. you want to be part of my team now instead yeah. of me mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. desperately clawing to get a piece of you I'm hoping that that's totally I feel like we're in the middle of like flipping that on its head and I I hope we just keep doing that so that they start coming more to the authors Mm -hmm. yes yeah hopefully it becomes more of an author centered industry instead of it being so like dominated by like the business I looked, I did a deep dive into it and I don't know because originally I had thought about traditionally publishing as well so I did a deep dive Mm -hmm. into like trad houses and there's so much of who in terms of publishing and if you look at if you really look at the big five I guess the big four now and who some of their biggest authors are it's this person in marketing's niece and this person Mm -hmm. and it's such a who business to be honest 
Yeah, I feel like you get that. You get that everywhere. Yeah. Like pick an industry and you can find that. But it's you you get I have I have friends that have gone pure trad and they're the success stories and they're the, you know, needle mm. in a haystack getting pulled from a query trench by an agent and having all their trad dreams come true. But anymore, especially depending on your genre. And mm. so to be writing mm. romance, just go indie. You'll make money faster. You'll make yeah. more money. Mm-hmm. You'll yeah. be in more control. Just do it. The industry is there mm-hmm. yeah and I, I feel like book talk and things like that have really changed the reader's thoughts on indie and yeah. now I'm like oh what book am I going to read I see this one is indie I'm more likely now versus yeah. a few years ago I probably wouldn't have been more likely to I'm like oh I'll probably go with the trad one just because yeah in well, my head I thought there was a better idea of like this one's probably more of a winner yeah um, yeah I think anymore especially well especially with the romance genre which is what I'm most familiar with right now is mm-hmm. it's more indie than anything else yeah especially on book talk and bookstagram mm-hmm. and I know that I love some of my favorite readers and fans that are in my inner circle they go all in for indie mm-hmm. they they know that we're out here all on our own and so yeah. they really go all in they post the reviews they mm-hmm. post to social media because they know we're just out here swimming <laughs> by ourselves <laughs> so just trekking along uh, just yeah just it's been great to see the way readers protect us and help us and promote us it's been great yeah that's awesome okay so something that we love is that you have a lot of lgbtq plus themes in most mm-hmm. of your books is that something you are particularly passionate about is there a reason that you've included that or is it just naturally where your heart started leaning when you were writing yeah you no know, it's been it's been a part of my process really it's been part of my own coming out journey of mm-hmm. uh, i with the i mentioned the finished fantasy that i wrote that i was going in the trad market and that i was going to release with that one that's what i thought would maybe be the first book i ever published mm-hmm. and what you have at the heart of this is you have these two women that are best friends that really through this this epic journey they go through, they realize they're more than friends. And one of the issues that you've seen quite a bit, especially in some of the trad spaces, is authors essentially being forced to come out mm-hmm. as part of writing queer stories. Mm-hmm. And that's not always safe. Right. That's not always right. fun. That's not It's like, mm-hmm. so you're asking me to ruin my personal life. You're asking me to set fire to relationships mm-hmm. in order for you to feel more comfortable with the kind of representation I'm putting into my book. That I can't just be a person that wants to showcase these kinds of stories. I have to own it and I have mm-hmm. to step into it. And I even had in like the beta processing for that book, I was getting pushback already from two of the readers that read for me were my cousins. And my cousins were like, Emily, isn't it a big deal that you're trying to tell this kind of story when you're straight? Mm-hmm. And I had one of my other friends that I was out to on the call with us and she's texting me on the side like, do they not know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh no, they don't. And so that basically she left the call and I came out to them. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it was, it's been this whole process of like, if I'm doing this, I'm going all in mm-hmm. and I'm not going to hide. If not now, when, like, right. if not now, when yeah. I'm going to live in my truth and I'm going to tell the stories I want to tell. And I don't want anyone coming there being like, this isn't your story to tell. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it is. <laughs> so it is. every yeah. piece of the queer exploration and feeling like I hate labels and I hate feeling like I have to defend myself or describe myself or define myself mm-hmm. for other people like what do you like and why and how queer are you and all these things and it's just like I love creating worlds and spaces for my characters where they just are mm-hmm. exactly who they are mm-hmm. and so they love exactly who they love and how they love and the people around them support them and mm-hmm. just let them explore who they want to be. And I was really inspired by the show Schitt's Creek. So I was inspired by just the idea of the characters on that show are just exactly who they are. Mm-hmm. And yes. everyone just lets them live. And living in the state that I live and having the politics that are currently <laughs> around me. I love the fact that I am currently topping the charts internationally with a queer polyamorous hockey romance. It's just like, we're all just going to live our lives, live our best queer lives. And you're going to leave us alone. That That was one of my later questions of like, because you are living in Florida and you're also a writer, you're a teacher, Mm -hmm. you're a mom. So what is it like for you as all of those things with the political atmosphere that you're constantly surrounded by in Florida? 
Yeah, it's it's tough. I'm not going to say that it doesn't make me nervous mm -hmm. because it absolutely does when you're looking at some of these laws that are passed. So I'm not going to say it doesn't worry me, me as a queer person, me as a teacher. And not only that I'm a teacher, but what I teach, I teach things like African politics. I teach the big, scary, critical race theory. I teach developing politics of developing countries. And I am a queer person and I'm out at my university. I'm a, I'm a mentor at our LGBT center and I have been. And I just, as part of the community, I have very dear and close friends of mine that are non-binary, that are transgender. And the laws that this state are is passing, actively passing, they're restricting everything. They're restricting what mm -hmm. I can teach. They're restricting how I can teach it. You tell me how to teach African politics without discussing the concept of racism. Right. How do you do that? Mm -hmm. You tell me how I talk about I'm supposed to teach in the fall politics of genocide. You tell me how I leave out the strategic targeting of LGBT plus individuals from genocides, mm -hmm. which constantly happens. Yeah. I'm just supposed yeah. to pretend that doesn't happen. I'm just supposed to not teach that. And I have friends of mine that are looking at, do I have to move? Mm -hmm. Is this, uh, they're having to research it, that Canada is going to be offering political asylum mm -hmm. to U.S. citizens that are fleeing their country because of this persecution, right? Like mm -hmm. that's the world we live in, that we have people that are fleeing the border to another country because the U.S. is not safe for them. So it's very real and it's very scary, but also you feel like I'm not going to be afraid. and right. I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to deny my truth and I'm not going to, what, just tell straight stories god yeah. that's boring like, yeah it's just yeah, not it it's not who i am and it's not the world yeah. it's not real it's, it's exactly not reality, right it's not the world exactly it's not the world so yeah that's not what i'm gonna do i'm gonna right. tell my queer stories if it means i have to move to barbados or finland or at this point all i need is internet access to keep sharing mm. my story so. Yeah. I love that. And I can almost that fight that I see in you right now, I see in Rosalie. Yeah. And, and now that I'm seeing you and listening yeah. to you, I hear her. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that it's the same exact voice, but I hear a lot. She's like, don't cage me. Mm -hmm. Don't cage yeah, me. Don't cage me. Yeah. That's a that's a refrain kind of across all of my books. And it's not only the cages that society puts us in, but also so much of the cage work we do. We put yes, ourselves yes. in mental cages. So that's where a lot of the stuff I explore, not only with queerness, but with polyamory, is we live in such a cage of what monogamy needs to look like, what a marriage needs to look like, what queerness needs to look like. And we do it to ourselves. And mm -hmm. so a big piece of it is like, yeah, we need to be free of society's cages, but we also need to get out of our own damn ways so often and yeah. just right. like breathe and let mm -hmm. ourselves live. And so my characters are constantly exploring that idea of like societal cages, but then just mental cages yeah. uh, and, and breaking free. That's one reason a lot of people are drawn to these types of books, these polyamorous yeah. books, yeah. because mm -hmm. it's getting to live that experience mm -hmm. because it's been put into our heads that that is not the experience yeah. you should live. And yeah. it's like living vicariously in these books mm -hmm. and it's like a freedom unto itself. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's. And especially for me, like I have really gravitated towards like why choose books over the last few years. And I think a lot of it comes from like the indoctrination that I had growing up from like a religious standpoint of like mm -hmm. it, marriage has to look like this. It, the society has to look like this or else it's bad. Mm -hmm. It's sinful. And so like discovering these new things and like really causing reading things on purpose to really push my boundaries of how my brain is thinking about things and really checking mm -hmm. myself and how am I uh, then going out into the world and like really looking at other people who are also experiencing these things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think writing female main characters the way that I do or that I have that they they're not afraid of communication in the bedroom and they're yes. not afraid of saying what they like and what they want and taking charge. And it's the same kind of thing of I, I grew up in such a culture of shame mm. of Yes. hating myself for my sexual preferences and like even my early 20s you could not have told me I was queer I would have laughed <laughs> in your face it right. was a yeah. long process of decompartmentalizing all of the trauma that I went through before it's like oh my god I can breathe how is it that I'm like 30 and only now I feel like I'm breathing mm -hmm. my mm -hmm. own air and so to write these women that are free in ways that I could never be or mm -hmm. ways that I wished that I could have explored and they don't care the shame that I carry and they don't carry the trauma that I carry. They they have their own issues. Mm -hmm. 
are perfect, but it's just like, oh, just the freedom yeah. to write them uninhibited is yeah. a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah. And I, I look at it as our generation is doing so much work towards that. I am mm-hmm. so excited to see what our children's generation yeah. is going to look mm-hmm. like in terms of just being wholly accepting of everything, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I'm excited for the, yeah. the next generation coming up. And I think you were talking about like the sex language that your characters are using and I think we've talked about it on the podcast before of I love that people are reading books now that give them language yes in how to talk about consent in the bedroom how to have these conversations Mm -hmm. because even today I think a lot of sex education is still so draconian and still even Mm -hmm. if you're saying like it's okay to have sex you're still not going all the way where you're really allowing people to have those open conversations about this is what Mm -hmm. it could look like this and that's why I'm like, oh, man, I wish I would have had these words when I was mm-hmm. in high school or when I was younger. Like, I think I wouldn't have been so uncomfortable when I was in those situations. And I felt like I had to go along with something just yeah, I, because, yeah. like, it's not that I didn't want it, but maybe I didn't want it this certain way. And I just mm-hmm. didn't have the language then to say those things. I will say growing up very conservative, I just assumed that I would have, like, the best sex of my life in my 20s when I was newly married and young and I was gonna have the best sex in my life then and then once you hit 30 everything goes downhill and it wasn't until I really started reading spicy books like what you're saying and I started understanding more and stepping into I don't want to say uncomfortable I guess stepping into like unknown territory that I just had not experienced yet and I was like wait a second I like that I like that and then Mm -hmm. then your sex life gets 10 times better because you actually know what you like and know what you want to do and know how to ask Mm -hmm. for it and and what to say language and verbiage is just it's very important so important knowing what to call things and knowing what to say (laughs) learning new things from fictional characters Yeah, that's been equal parts. Like, it feels strange that becomes kind of part of your role as a romance author is like, I get a lot of messages. I get a lot of (laughs) TMI messages. (laughs) Satisfied readers that want to tell me what, but part of it is like, girl, you don't, the internet didn't need this. (laughs) I didn't need this. (laughs) The internet is not, I don't know. It's just kind of funny. Like, I'm happy for you, but. Yeah, I'm so happy for you, but I didn't need to know. But then at the same time, I'm like, oh my God, I am so glad I know that it's like changing people's lives in a sense, because this Mm. is such a part of our life. And if you're going through dry spells or you're going through periods of non-communication or miscommunication or whatever it is and it's just like spice up your life mm-hmm. especially like with my regency stuff it was so fun I would have women be like I'm in my 50s and blah 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 and like I love we've been it. having sex every night oh, yes. Yes. and so I'm just like queen get it get and it so, so that's been a lot of fun of it, like the unintended consequences of writing these books that people are like I'm having the best sex of my life now it's like <laughs> I'm I'm doing the Lord's work. You are. You are. So as we know, Allie found you on TikTok. And as we chatted about a second ago, you have a pretty big following and you do a really good mm-hmm. job of interacting and promoting and just engaging with your readers. So do you find things like TikTok and social media make writing more fun as an author? Do you feel like it adds any stress or what's your take on the social media aspect of it? It's both. It's mm-hmm. 100% both. It, I have so much fun. It's just a different way to use your creativity, especially on TikTok or I do a lot of the work on TikToks and then I make it into reels. It's a different kind of my brain. It's a different kind of creativity. So it is a lot of fun. I don't want to say that it's not fun. And I do love engaging with my readers and building out like inside jokes or things Mm -hmm. that carry on week after week or month after month. But it is also absolutely exhausting. It is a time suck, especially as you think of the way that I've built out my brand is me. Yeah. I am very forward facing on the brand. I am very active. So you think even some of my friends, a lot of the big name authors that are out there, I'm telling you, they have PAs running all their accounts. Mm -hmm. If you're not seeing if it's these big authors that their faces are not on those accounts, they're not doing them. And I know that because I talk to them about they're paying people to do it. And so there's, there is this kind of utter disconnect that they're not doing it. And I feel like you can tell Mm, because there's not that same energy. Whereas my accounts, it's like, it's all me all the time. And it just creates such a different kind of relationship with my readers. I think that speaks to your success too. I think I I really do think so as well. Uh, I have talked to so many readers that have 
have said, I'm one of the most approachable authors. I'm the most mm-hmm. engaged author that they've ever worked with or talked to. And there's really, frankly, there is a lot of, for any authors that are out there or would be authors, what I have learned through this process, especially over the past two-ish months, I would say, as Pucking Around has blown up the way it has, there is a lot of reader resentment out there. Mm-hmm. And it's growing mm-hmm. of especially reader to indie relationships. I cannot tell you how many readers I have spoken to. They're they're getting jaded. They're getting resentful of like they put in the work. These bookstagrammers and these book talkers out there repping our books one after the other. They are always showing up. They're always leaving reviews. And I have talked to so many readers that are like, she's never liked a single one of my posts. Mm-hmm. She wow. never responds to me. She never engages with me i'm on her arc team and she never reacts to me mm. and so they're just like just give us some breadcrumbs here just yeah. like a post yeah. just so for yeah. me to be like leaving them voice memos and like recording things especially for them they're just like oh my god i can't believe you responded and at first i thought it was strange until i started talking to him and it's like what are we out here doing mm-hmm. author that the readers are constantly in my DMs venting their frustration to me that authors are not as approachable as they could be and Mm -hmm. as they should be, especially these indies when we rely on our readers as much as we do. Yeah. Throw them a bone, like Mm -hmm. their posts. Yeah. Respond occasionally. Be on their podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Do what? I said be on their podcast. (laughs) Be on their podcast. Yeah. So it truly does make a difference, your approachability. That's one thing that drew Allie to your book Mm -hmm. in the first place was how approachable you were. Yeah. But it does. I, the, the blessing and the curse of it, the blessing is that I am so forward that my readers Mm -hmm. really do feel like they get to know me. The curse is now this is my brand. So I don't, I don't get to step away in the same way that some authors have of like, this is my brand. I am approachable. I am here. I am present. And it really is a time suck for me but I think it's worth it in the sense of the kind of community that I'm building out yeah it's it's a blessing and a curse I blessing more than curse I should the curse is just like oh darn I I have to make time for it in the past two years I have worked to very full-time jobs so that's what I was like been. she's got she's a professor she's a mom she's doing all of these. Um, I was like where does she find the time I'm impressed mm-hmm. yeah so I am I am nearing the point of implosion mm-hmm. uh, I will mm-hmm. just like sink inward like a dying star if I don't make some changes yeah so that's yeah. really like Emily 2.0 is big changes are coming for my life in terms of my directions I'm going with the two jobs and things like that of really wanting to try and go all in with the authoring I was gonna say would you say that's your 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 goal is to go full-time yeah. author? Yeah, for sure. Like I, I love the university work. I mm-hmm. love, love, love teaching. It brings me so much joy, mm-hmm. but as across the board, whether it's university or K through 12, teachers aren't paid shit. I work at a public university in Florida. I do not get paid what I'm worth. None of us do. My my kid's teacher here at the public school is not paid what she's worth. I know she's not. And so for me, it's just like, it really starts to become dollars and cents. As much as I love the teaching, like, what am I doing? I'm killing yeah. myself mm-hmm. doing these two jobs at once. And I'm very, very blessed that I'm in a position where I can take that step back from one of them mm-hmm. and really focus my efforts on the other. So yeah. that's, it's been a journey. It's been a process of kind of, I've been in a grieving process of letting go of that career. It's not easy to get a PhD and, and do yeah. the stuff yeah. that I did and uprooting my family and moving them all over the world. And you grieve it a little bit mm-hmm. of making big changes. Yeah. But it was hard for my husband when he made the transition from teacher to administration but Mm -hmm. something that we've talked about a lot is you find that there are other ways to be teachers besides just a teacher and I think in writing you're teaching you're doing a lot of things that kind of fulfill some of those same things that teaching does fulfill or even just reimagining what kind of things that I would want to teach like even Mm -hmm. going to some of the big book conferences and they have panels so it's like I can be on panels and be talking about the craft of writing or Mm -hmm. like uh, the teacher is in me and it will never go away So I'll teach on TikTok. I'll teach in podcasts. I'll teach just like, sit down and let me talk to you. (laughs) It's just my personality. I cannot help myself. And yeah, it doesn't mean that I have to step back completely. I still live here. The university still knows I'm here. If they're like, hey, can you teach a class this semester? If I can fit it in, great. I'd love to. But I don't want to feel like I have to teach at the level I've been teaching and do all the other stuff, administrative stuff and service to the department. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, just let me teach 
teach and then let me sneak away and yeah. I'll come back and teach and I'll sneak away again. Yeah. That's where I'm at. So my, we are going to be talking about beautiful things. And so I want to mm-hmm. ask in your second son series, who is your favorite character and why is it George? <laughs> <laughs> so I, that's actually my curse is that I tend to write side characters that are too big. I <laughs> love it. Like, I love it. Yeah. So he was supposed to be a do nothing. He was just supposed to be like the character mm. you love to hate. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to not really even be all that present. He was basically just supposed to be a foil for James of God. I have this idiot jerk brother who's useless. That was all he was supposed to be. But then the first scene that I actually put him on the page is where James goes and like wakes him up very mm. early and mm-hmm. beautiful things. And the way that the dialogue just flowed out of me, I was like, oh, shit. Oh, no. <laughs> And then it just kept going. And I actually, I had a whole plan for book two. We're saying we're not doing spoilers. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I had a whole plan for book two that would include something happening to George. And I basically fell so deeply in love with him that I had to fix it. Yes, Mm. you did. (laughs) Essentially, it's it's not a spoiler because it didn't happen. He's going to kill him. Yeah. (laughs) I was wondering. I was like, nothing better happened to him because I don't want that to be how James becomes like the Duke and then all their problems are solved because George yeah it's too simple it's too simple to do that and I've mentioned it in so many other spaces that was what I was gonna do I was yeah. gonna kill him and I don't and he saved his own life with how ridiculous he is yeah yeah <laughs> amen and so then I rewrote the entire plot of his grace the duke to keep him alive because if he doesn't die then something else has to happen and I feel like the book is so much better for it he yeah. has the most amazing arcs so like most readers finish beautiful things and are like i hate him and then they finish his grace the duke and they're like oh my god he needs his own book <laughs> i'm so fascinated yeah. by that man <laughs> yeah i love him fun so what inspired you to do regency because beautiful things is i know it's not the first book you wrote but it is the first mm-hmm. one that we are seeing from you mm-hmm. uh, do you love regency or did it just happen oh yes i love regency i grew up with my mom and her sister and my cousins we all it started with jane austen adaptations so mm-hmm. every tv adaptation every yes. film adaptation when i was younger so it'd be the kind of thing that we would go up to visit my aunts and she my mom and her sister would go into the basement and put on the four hour Pride, yeah. BBC Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. And so I would sit at the corner of the stairs and watch it with them. And then once I was old enough, I started reading the books and then just the whole world mm. exploded for me. So it was a deep, deep love that I've always had for Jane Austen's work that just matured from there and has yeah. always stuck with me. I love the Regency era. And yeah, so it was just the picking it as for this particular book came out of a conversation I had with a couple of my author friends. So Kate King and Jessa Wilder are a duo that have written some Why Choose mm, books. I love um, them. I love and them. we were talking about the thing that you need, like the thing that hooks a Why Choose is forced proximity. Yeah. Yes. So you have to, so that's why it's like mafia, boarding school, mm-hmm. motorcycle club. Like you got to have something where you're getting non-related people in very close proximity. Yeah. And so they were talking about all the, their ideas and I was just sitting there and I was like, you know what would make an amazing setting? A summer house, mm-hmm. a Regency era summer house. Because you think of what is Bingley doing? Like he's <laughs> always just with Darcy. Just, yeah. You think like Jane Eyre. Yeah. It's just like 20 people in the house and they Mm. just spend the summer moving around each other's houses like Mm -hmm. where's the party where's the best quail shooting whatever so I was like that would work to have that contained setting of a whole bunch of people in one house that are not related that would be a lot of fun and (laughs) it does work yeah it does work and let me tell you once you get to the second book and they move to the tarn (laughs) it's really working (laughs) yeah yeah so I wanted to know personally as someone who keeps trying to write and then gives up on herself. Are you a planner? And I'm assuming you might be a planner because you have a PhD, but you may not be. You And you did mention that you had the whole plot for His Grace the Duke planned out. So are you yep. a planner, a pantser, or in between when you're writing? 
Yeah, I I call myself like a planning pantser. Okay. Or You're a, a pantser. <laughs> a word that Adrian Young used was discovery writer. Mm-hmm. So it's like I will have a loose, I'll have a loose shell for an idea. I'll know in general what direction I'm going. Or I was on another podcast, the Story Beast podcast, and they talk about Gabby talked about beacons. The idea of like you think of like a a path in the night, and it's just lit by these kind of softly glowing beacons, right? right. So it's mm-hmm. like you know where your beacons are, so you know what direction you're headed. But there's darkness so you get to the next beacon and you're like i know where the next beacon is but there's room to play so like even things like surprising myself when i'm writing that's right. really important like i cannot over plot i cannot do a whole mm-hmm. outline for a book because i have a very cinematic imagination and one yes. of the pitfalls that i fall into is like if i over plan it with the way my imagination is and it being so cinematic i run into this issue of i already saw that movie mm-hmm. no it's like i start to lose interest in finishing it because I already finished it in my head. Uh, That makes so much sense sense to me. Yeah. It makes complete sense to me. Yeah. So it's like, I need it. I need some of it to stay fuzzy. So I have a general idea of where I'm going, but then in every book I've done, there's been like the, (gasps) I did not expect this (laughs) moment. And that can't happen if you don't leave yourself open to discovery. Yeah. Plotting, pantser, discovery, writer, beacon, finder. I don't know. Any of those apply. I love those. I love that. That's such a good, I think that's what you do, isn't it, Hannah? Yeah, I know. I know where we're ending. And I know like probably five to seven main points that we're going to hit throughout the book that I need to happen to get to that ending. But I have no idea what's going to happen in between them. I think the last kind of question that I have is who are some authors that you're inspired by or you just love what they're writing and their their projects? Who would you say are some of your big ones? Yeah, I think an author that I have come up with, we we started together, debuted romance books together, has been Jess Wilder, right? Jess Wilder is a very, very dear friend of mine. We mm. talk every day. We're in each other's DMs. And it's really important as an indie to have people in the industry that you can talk to and that you can bounce ideas off of. And you can't know everything so that you can use mm. for knowledge and all these things. And so Jessa Wilder has been a wonderful and dear friend. And I've loved watching her writing journey. She's done a bunch of books that have been the co-authored with Kate King, which yeah. they did full, but now she's branching off on her own. We both did hockey books kind of like within a month of each other. Yeah, I um, read most of hers. I fell in love and, with her um, too. <laughs> and just some other authors, other indies that have been really influential to me in terms of helping guide my career. All They do amazing books as mm-hmm. well. Two monster romance authors, Cleo Evans and Ashley Bennett. Oh, yeah. Cleo just, Evans. Cleo Evans. <laughs> yeah. In terms of just not only the work that they do, but they also, they both are, they have very different platforms than I do. But they are equally engaged with their reader communities, Mm -hmm. just differently. Mm -hmm. And so that's been so fun to just have them as mentors and friends to be like, what are we doing? What does this look like? How are you doing it differently? Whether they're doing Patreon or they're doing... So that's just been fun to have different kinds of authors. Another one I would say is like Sarah Blue. Sarah Blue does a lot of really great engagement with things like book boxes, curated Mm. book boxes, and really trying to make like an event of her releases, having a lot of exclusive swag. And so that's from the author side of just like the business, Mm -hmm. having these authors that I look up to and that I think of as friends, but then just authors that I enjoy their work. I'd say one that's just consumed me recently has been Neve Wilder. She does some MM romances. So the first one, she has one that's called, I think it's called Extracurricular Activities. The first one is called Want Me. Mm. And I read it on Christmas Eve. And that's the book, that's the last book I read where it was like, does life go on? Mm. Oh no. What a good feeling. Like, not for me. Not for me. I just remember just wandering around my mother-in-law's house on Christmas morning, (laughs) like with my mimosa, just like hungover from the book. You're like, I'm an a depression please don't celebrate yeah so christmas is canceled yeah neve wilder and roan parish and that's that's another one that's been doing kind of like 
super angsty MM romance mm. that I've been vibing with a lot. And I think last year I went down a deep fanfic hole. And so that was a lot of fun as well of Wonderful. just seeing how much amazing, amazing work is done in the fan fiction space. And yeah, that's been a lot of fun too. I have yeah. my last question. Oh, yeah. No. Oh no. <laughs> they say if you show a gun in act one, you better use it in mm -hmm. act two. So Bert brings in the oil. <laughs> Mm-hmm. In the first book. And I call mm -hmm. this Act One. I call Beautiful uh -huh. Things Act One. Uh-huh. Since I've moved on to His Grace the Duke. Uh-huh. Did you plant the oil for... <laughs> <laughs> The, the scene yeah, so, that happens because I felt like I can't say too much, but eventually three people end up in bed together and then the oil comes back. And I just wanted yeah. to know. Yeah, that was that was something that I had to think about because that was one of the big hangups that some of my friends were like, you cannot do this. You cannot do this because they were sitting there talking about like, what does contraception look like? Or what does mm. blah, blah, blah look like? And that's where I actually went down a super fun, deep diving rabbit hole where I was looking at Regency era contraception. And so doing things like the French letter. I was going to say, that's so the first time I've ever heard that. And I've yeah. read a, a good many and like watched, like you were saying, like all the PBS Regency stuff. Stuff and uh, talk about it. They might mention it. <laughs> they might. <laughs> yeah. But so part of it was just like, I didn't, I wanted Rosalie to have a ton of fun in those books and I did not want her to get pregnant. And so we had to, I had to think about that before I started writing. And so I went down that deep dive of like, we're, she's going to do something. What is she doing? Is she, and so that's where I pulled in the French letter and then another piece of it doing, doing queer romance and knowing that I'd have elements of MM mm -hmm. or just with Rosalie, right? anything yeah. that's like peach play right nothing turns off readers faster than there being absolutely no prep work for a peach play scene you need something there and so my in my the regency ones i went with oil that there would be you can't have peach play without some oil there so i love yeah. peach play and i love the phrase <laughs> peach play yeah i'm yeah. gonna use that from now on i also like peach play but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Bert brought in that oil and then Bert used that oil. And I was like, I yes. wonder if that. Like, yeah, Burke is Burke is one of my favorite where you were joking, like, who's my favorite character? Like, mm. of course, I love George. But honestly, in that series, it's Burke. Uh, Burke was the first character to get named. His name never changed. Like Burke and Rosalie meeting was the first scene that was just like, <gasps> just came yeah. to my mind like a movie. I saw all of it. And yeah, so Burke is like very much a big piece of my heart and my mm -hmm, soul yeah. he, he carries both of those books i think i think um, yeah i think he's my like if i had to choose one yeah yeah he, he okay. seems yeah, to yeah. carry the relationships on yeah. his shoulder the relationship on his shoulders a little bit yeah he's like he's a catalyst right? yeah he mm -hmm. is he's a the others have action happening to them he is the action that's ac the active participant mm -hmm. yeah. he's a lot of fun to write and to if you go on to alcott hall he is so much fun he's a one of the main side characters in the third book alcott hall mm. uh, hilarious because it, it's fun to see him through someone else's eyes yeah. so he's in all these scenes but different POVs are interacting with them so just to see how people think about him and speak to him it's it's a lot of fun to see him through other people's eyes yeah I'm I, sure I'll get there yeah and I was yeah. gonna say this when we talk about the book but now because we're talking about Burke I love Burke's like love that he has for James their relationships with Sips specifically like I know obviously other things go on and it develops more but I just love like they're like I'm a happy like I'm happy when you're happy and just they're like supportive I'm not leaving you I'm not abandoning you don't ask that of me I just love mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. yeah to have that kind of ride or die friendship yeah yeah. So many why chooses tend to have it like you're really your options are three best friends. Right. Or a collector harem and uh -huh. collector uh -huh. harem tough to do and it can be hard to get the dynamics right. So with that first one, I was like, let's have them be best friends mm -hmm. and let's explore what that looks like. And I am trash for a good friends to lovers anyway, mm -hmm. particularly with MM. I don't love for whatever reason, MF friends to lovers. That's how I am too. Yeah. We're best friends. We're leaving. But if, it's, but if it's MM, I'm just like, give it to me yes. now. Now yes. kiss. <laughs> yes. 
Now kiss. Yes. Oh, that, that simmering tension of yes. the best friends turning to lovers is like, oh, mm. affection. So yeah, I got to do it three times over. So it was so much fun. Yeah. That's I was like, I'm glad we're talking to Emily tonight because I need to have words with her because she is doing something to me <laughs> with Burke and James. And I have not felt any relief yet. She threw me a curveball and James, James is being a yeah. hard ass. That is literally he is. I know, but I'm, I'm just like, now kiss. No kiss. <laughs> like, Come on! <laughs> Threw me a curveball, though. I can't say because they don't know, but they can guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I so appreciate getting to meet readers and doing podcasts and stuff like this, and letting people know I am just a hot mess of a person that loves to write books and loves to talk about books, and yeah, and well, loves movies in her head. <laughs> yes, yeah. loves watching the movies in my head. I love that kind. Them kiss my head. <laughs> We are very honored that you took the time to talk to us and we are just very thankful. And I know I can't wait to explore more that's coming from the Emily verse. And I love that you call it the Emily verse. Yeah. (laughs) So we're just so thankful. Yeah. I hope you have a good night. Bye. You too. Bye. See ya. Bye. We really appreciate Emily joining us, but we're going to take a break and then we're going to get into beautiful things. And we're back. We're back. We're back. Our book this week is obviously Beautiful Things. Beautiful Things is about a young woman named Rosalie Harrow who finds herself destitute with no prospects and almost no remaining family. She is mysteriously invited to the house of the Duchess of Norland, who invites her to stay at the house for the summer with the condition that she act almost as a spy for the Duchess in the Duchess's hunt to secure a wife for her wayward elder son, the Duke. But it's not the Duke who makes Rosalie's job helping the Duchess hard and full of temptation. No, the temptation is the second son, James, who is the younger brother of the Duke, and his two best friends, Burke, who is a bastard son of a whore, who has been taken in by the Duchess and her family. And there's also Tom Renly, who is also a second son who went off and joined the Queen's Navy after being rejected by his one true love and is now on the hunt for a wealthy wife to pay for his raise and station. Rosalie is drawn to these three men who are equally enthralled by her during their stay at Alcott Hall while the Duchess has a month-long party to secure a wife for the Duke. James fights his draw to Rosalie the entire book and Renly and Burke do try and fight it but are not as disciplined in resisting her charms. Rosalie is very upfront and honest with all the men in telling them that she has no intentions of marrying for she feels it never ends well and often cages the women who already have a hard life with little freedom. The four of them develop intense feelings for one another and the book ends on a cliffhanger with feelings of betrayal and deep hurt. We have to read book two to find out what happens to Rosalie and the second sons. And I've started it and y'all suck because you have it. <laughs> I was trying to be disciplined. Wait. You should be happy. That doesn't usually happen with me. I was trying to be like, I need to be a good podcast host. Yeah. I'm well, proud of you. I'm proud of you too. But let me just say, we we are walking in the first part of this mm-hmm. book and we do a little jogging and we're jogging with the spice okay. once, once we get halfway through this first book. Mm-hmm. But the second book. It kicks off. We start off at a canter, and then we are <laughs> we are sprinting. <laughs> Let me tell you. It's a slow burn, and then we add fuel to the f- fire. Yeah, but the second book is like the fire is burning. Yeah. It's immediately. We it's just an explosion. It is an explosion. <laughs> I was like, oh, Lord. Oh, I was not expecting that. <laughs> I'm so well, excited. That, that was one of the things that got me because I was expecting that because 
I, like I said, I had found her on TikTok and I was like, okay, I love the idea of the pretzel. And the pretzel means basically M-M-M. Yeah. Everyone, like there is no Everybody is. Everyone's intertwined. Everybody's fucking everybody. And so I read this and I was like, sharing is caring. Where is it? I was made promises. (laughs) It's in the second book. (laughs) That's where it is. Yeah. But I do feel like I will say. Even in even though there was not like smut till the end, there was so much sexual tension yes, in this yeah. book. I was very satisfied. Yeah, and that's I was what like, I oh, oh my god. I always say when I'm like, oh, I don't know if I like a slow burn, but then I do read like a good slow burn like that. Oh, this is an amazing. And slow I'm burn. like, yes, I like when I have to work for it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, and buddy, <laughs> everybody work Burke works for it, but yeah, he Burke doesn't have does. to work as hard. Yeah. He's no. more open with yeah. himself. But there's still slow burn in the second yeah. one. I like it. But it's like just, it. it's lessened. I don't the, want it to be feel, I don't want it to feel too easy. Yeah, I think. the amount of slow burn has lessened. Let's just say yeah. that. So yeah. I highly recommend everyone read Beautiful Things. And she says there's a reason it's Rosalie on this cover. Mm. Because this is about her. And there's a reason on His Grace the Duke. It's the three it's about men the on the cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let me just say i've started reading it you need if you read this one please also get the second one it's yeah you have to yeah you gotta know how it i'm I not can't wait even to start that deep i'm not even i was at like 20 percent yeah when like the explosion started the, the well stuff had already happened yeah. i'm talking about oh. like boom yeah like, god damn yes okay boom goes the dynamite all right so now it's boom but if you had to pick who is your favorite of her guys. Tom. Tom is your favorite? Yeah, he's so sweet. I thought Tom would be my favorite, but Burke he, is my favorite. Can I like them all? Yeah, but I if you I, had I, I feel like I like them for different reasons. Yeah. Like I, yeah. yeah. I don't know, like Burke. If yeah. I had to pick, it's yeah. going to be Burke. But I do, I just. I think that is part of one of the things that I, when I'm choosing a why choose, part of me that is, I don't think I could ever do it is because I do I'm always going to have a favorite. Yeah. Like yeah. every time I have a favorite and I'm like, I think if I was in a relationship like that, I would still have a favorite. Yeah. Which wouldn't be fair. Right. In my opinion. But it's weird because she does not. She no, really. Yeah. She head, really. Yeah. She does not yeah. have a favorite. And, and this is not a spoiler. Like she absolutely refuses to get married, which yes. is something so incredibly odd for a Regency romance novel. Yes. She absolutely refuses yeah. and is adamant. <laughs> oh, that was your next question. I was going to say, so that's my next question, Ashley. What did you think about her stance on marriage? Because it's pretty, what's the word for the time period? Like pretty out of the ordinary. Risky. It's risky. Yeah. It's business for her. Yeah. But for her, it's the less risky of the choices because she all she's seen is abuse yeah. in marriage. I think it shows how brave she is because of the time period. And then you get that from her character anyway, because her character has done so well. She is just like a kick-ass, I know what I want, I know what I don't want. Yeah. And I'm not going to fold to any anyone else's will. I love it. And if she wants more than one, she's yeah. going to go for it. Yeah. I really appreciated like just her frankness and like really understanding herself in that mm-hmm. and being willing to, especially for that time period, being willing to say, this is how I feel. This one, this question I felt is random, but I had thoughts on her. What are your thoughts on Mary Ann? The friendly one? That bitch. Oh, Marianne. Yeah. Oh, to me. Or like, just what are your thoughts on like Tom and his one true love, Marianne? For me, Marianne represents Tom's childhood. But I also think she represents... Burke's understanding of Tom and their relationship because Burke does not like Marianne. No. He understood from the get go who he was she like, was. Absolutely yeah. not. Yes. And Rosalie is such, she's truly a good person by telling Tom, you need, and showing him what women have to go through. Yeah. Like, she might yeah. have, she might not have been jilting you for a reason like that was nefarious, mm-hmm. Tom. She might have made. A choice that was necessary for her yeah. future. Because she's still, just like Rosalie, is a woman in this time yeah. where your options are, very, your choices are very risky. Limited. Like, yeah. And you have limited options and sometimes you have to go with. And it does turn out, I think, that Burke has a good idea of mm. who Marianne mm-hmm. is. But I will say in the second book, and this is something else that Rosalie does. Rosalie, and I think 
it is because Emily does this. And I'm just guessing from having spoken to Emily for a little bit. I think Emily and therefore Rosalie sees the good in women. And she wrote that into the second book a little bit. And Tom is so gracious with Marianne. So I like what it tells us about Tom. That he can be hurt by someone and then forgive them. And I think that's why um, I love him so much. Because he truly does forgive her and he means what he says. He's uh, he's very genuine. Yes. He's a very genuine he's person. Very, when he says he's going to be Rosalie's friend, he's like, I'm going to be your friend. And yeah. I'm going to let And I thought she was a good friend to him too. Especially in this book when he's so like, I don't know. I just don't know. And so she takes the time to be like, explore it. Like you, you have to get that close. Which is, um, I would not have done it. No. If I like Because I'm Tom, a selfish person. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I've been like, she yeah. is awful. I agree. Yeah. So it was very, I thought it was a really cool choice of Emily's to let Rosalie do that. And I think even you see that with how she interacts with Olivia. Yeah. The Gorgon. She's the same. Yeah. She gives her, she really gives women to an extent. Obviously yeah. some of these women are just horrendous yeah. in the way they treat people. But see, when she sees a woman in a vulnerable position, right. she understands yeah. that. And I just yeah. love that about yeah. Ro- Rosalie. Like even though Olivia had been mean and rude to her, yes. she was willing to go she to past it. her and say, how can I help? Yeah. yeah. And I will say that continues into the second book. Oh, yeah. that's good. Yeah. I like like that. I'm not going to hold grudges. It really, because it's I, not her, yeah, yeah I know, her it's hard, like, we're just doing what we can. Yeah, that's what, I just yeah. love that, and I, that's oh, yeah. why when Emily was talking, I was like, mm, this is you, I, I can see all this. this kindness, yeah, and everything mm-hmm. that I met in Rosalie, I felt yeah. like I met you a little bit. And I thought, for me, Tom represented the idea that sometimes, like, our first love isn't her best love. That's right. Like, mm-hmm. we don't have to, like, I love that trope. Yeah, I like, love it. we can grow, and we can change and we can acknowledge I did love that person they are a part of who I am today but they're no longer like my quote-unquote true love like I think that it shows like it's okay to move on from that and to think past it especially when you're a yeah. kid yeah. basically they were kids they were like, kids yeah. so yeah. it makes navigating sense. a word that, a world they don't understand yeah yeah and a social climate that is pitted against their relationship yeah. in the first place yeah how did you feel about pacing for the book I think we talked oh, about it a little bit but I loved it. I thought it was perfect yeah. I wouldn't change anything for the pacing I think let me go back it is a little different to me this almost feels like a prologue to the yeah. real thing yeah I thought that too a little bit I could see that it was a little slow for by the time we got to the end, I was like, has a lot happened? No. But it uh, but I think also it was a, a lot up. has happened. It's three weeks. So it's hard. Yeah. yeah. This thick this the thickness of this book, all this happens within three weeks. Yeah. So things do happen and fifty percent and Emily talked about this on her TikTok, on uh, one of her TikToks. She's like fifty percent, she's like, There's not gonna be mm-hmm. a lot of spice here. Yeah. When she hit the fifty percent mark, you're gonna get the spice, but she says the next book is where, is where it hits. Where yeah. it's kicking off. I think I loved it and I didn't have a problem with it because you learn so much about the characters. Yeah. And so when I go into book two, I am attached to these characters. Exactly. Like it's not just like a random, okay, wait, who is this and who is this and who is yeah. this? I'm trying to remember different ones. Like they're very distinct people in my head now because book one was written so beautifully and so effortlessly. The characters, like, they are so distinct. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's, like, for me, I was, like, okay that it was a little slow. Mm -hmm. Because I was still getting, like, the good slow burn. And the characters are, like, I, like you said, becoming attached to them. Like, it's okay that, like, I feel like not a lot is happening right here. Mm -hmm. I am learning and growing. And I think even the way they speak and the dialogue they use, especially, definitely with the women, but with the men as well I didn't even need a dialogue tag at times to need to know who was saying what it was just something that I was like oh yeah that's something that says a lot about her skill yeah oh yeah in writing Mm -hmm. they are just the men just being three completely different Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes when you read a white shoes that makes them different is (laughs) this way just because of the ones I've read it's like the magic they have this one is a werewolf shifter this This one's one's a vampire this one's a little meaner than the rest (laughs) but no these were like they were best friends Mm -hmm. and they were three completely completely distinct personality mm-hmm. and I love that it was it was just I could not get them mixed up yeah. even if they're like you said if it didn't have their name next to it I would know who was talking yeah and that's really yeah I did think it was weird that they were able to spend so much alone time together 
just because well, like, of what we've read before it's so well yeah regencies that i've read before but also i like she said she grew up watching pride and pride and all yeah. those pbs classics and stuff like that you don't really get that kind of like freedom to be alone like that which i'm okay with it i like it but i bet they did more than we think i think yeah, that is oh, just a, sure, i think that but. is a representation of what we're supposed to think of that time and what that time wanted us to think of itself but honestly they definitely did more yeah yeah they had to they didn't have cell phones they weren't entertaining <laughs> themselves yeah they were how else were, were they really doing needlepoint in the drawing room all day no you know what needle i mean pointing each other i was about to say it's a different <laughs> form of needle pointing what's this uh cock stand <laughs> She has cock stand, LOL. I just thought it was funny. Was Every it, time they said, said, he said, I got a cock stand, I was like, that is hilarious. I love this that in French letter. I haven't heard that until this book. Yeah, I hadn't either. Oh, we should have asked her if that was like where that came from. I'm sure it's probably I, something from back then. I was going to say, I, I wonder... feel like I have like maybe seen it before, but not commonly for sure. And the French letter thing, I was like, I'm Googling this. And I was like, whoa, look at this. Look at these contraceptive and like this animal foreskin that they would have used. Yeah, and they called like, it a French letter. I knew about the animal foreskin. Yeah. I well, knew about that. Yeah, but... I made assumptions that yeah. is what a condom would have been. But I was like looking at pictures and stuff and it was interesting. Mm. You looked at pictures. They don't look the most comfortable, I will say. French letter <laughs> made me just makes me think of parchment paper. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, like, when I first read it, I was like, what is he talking about? He didn't bring a letter. Golly. <laughs> I was a little mad, but we, I don't want to get too much into about the pulling out aspect of not getting pregnant because I will say it don't I, work. It don't work. I have the proof. <laughs> Burke gives her experience of her first at orgasm with the guys in the book. Yes. But then her next experience is with two guys. Hubba. We love it. So what did you think about her time with Burke? and Tom. <laughs> that was something I'd never read before. I was like, oh. Nice. Really? Of two guys going down on a woman at the same time? Okay. Oh. I, the logistics of that, I was having to be like, how wide are her legs? They're wide and the guys. Like, what are, like, I did have to take a moment. next to each other. Yeah. And things that I have read or seen in the past, one kind of okay. goes upper and one kind of goes lower. Huh. And oh. there's a little bit of like, tonguing between them. That's what I was okay. like. Oh, I, their oh. tongues are definitely yeah, I was like, there's and no was, way they're not touching. I was like, oh, it still gives me chills thinking about it. Anyway, we don't want to give away too much because she can read it. But <laughs> I am going to read a little. She couldn't bear to see the way their hot mouths came together, tongues stroking each other as they consumed her. She came harder than either of the first two times. Yeah, they'd already made her come two times yeah. by then. I'm going to say, that's pretty impressive. They didn't have no toys like we do now. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You give me that Talented. rose. You give me Talented. a rose. So we can have, make that happen. I guess you give me two guys. You never know. Did you like the threesome or did you like her time with Burke, Burke. better? Mm. Burke was more emotional, emotional yeah. for me, but the threesome was just so yeah. damn sexy. Yeah, it was, really it was so hot. Yeah, it was yeah. so hot. I was going to say, mean, I figured you'd say that. They were yeah, all like, wet from the rain. Oh, We love the rain and the wet and everyone just so good stripping and all they did was focus on her she did nothing to them yeah I, that's what i was gonna be one of my points is i really liked how they were very focused on her and were okay with being like no this is for i you. can't get over that they were basically making out over her <laughs> i like her it cunt. i was like my god i was like i will say that was hot yeah i, that, I will that's the first time I've read that. Because yeah. I did have to think about it for a minute of like how this <gasps> physically was going to go down. But I don't hate it's it. It's getting me right now as we're talking about it. Do you need to go home to the hubby? No. Okay. No. I have a guest bedroom downstairs. <laughs> Do you need to take a minute? No. I'll be okay. Okay. Right. I'm just flustered from all the excitement. <laughs> it's been a big night. It's been a big, it's been an exciting night tonight. It's been yeah, a guys. big night. We had Emily on and she was amazing. <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, but you did you guys you are you just said it. You said that Burke and her time together when they went all the way was more emotional. And it is so interesting because like we're talking about this book is spicy and then like we're talking about the next one is spicy. But in this whole book, only one time does she even penetrative Which we sex. call penile intercourse. intercourse. No, we don't <laughs> say that. <laughs> That's your love country roots coming in. But yeah, I, I thought the there's like a line where Burke says like, oh, you're going to be the death of me. And she's like, wait to die until I'm finished with you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, that's my kind of girl. 
<laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh, she, yeah. She tells them. Yeah. She tells them. She was very, I just appreciated her frankness of where she was and mm-hmm. how she was feeling. But I was a little annoyed with Burke at the end when he lets the Duchess decide so much of his life it's not just him james does it too yeah yeah and i was upset with james george is letting her do it yeah george i understand because that's kind of who he is (laughs) but like i was mad i was like james you're supposed to love burke and you're supposed to just say in that moment okay mom i'm gone bye they get her though I know. Yeah. We end the book on a pretty much, she's like, okay, we're going to fix this. Hannah, what were your thoughts since she's already gone on and read? So her thoughts are, what were your thoughts on Burke being in James, especially being like, okay, we'll have to figure it out, but still not really fighting back. Cause I personally was annoyed, but I think I was supposed I to be annoyed. I didn't really think about it too much. Didn't? I guess I was, but it wasn't like a, I wouldn't have remembered. Oh. It, anno- it, it annoyed, it annoyed you? me because I, I want people to be like in the mo- I'm very much in the moment like, like go for it because I'm a person that is if I decide I don't like something like I'm gonna say it just then and I you're not gonna change my mind and I'm willing can, to like I in the moment that. make irrational decisions and so I expect that of everybody else <laughs> Right. So I wanted James to be like, fine, if this is what you're going to do, we're leaving right now. Bye. I'll never talk to you again. Yeah, we're done. No longer friends. Like you can't take, you can't do that to my. He's Atlas. He has no rest. He's holding the world on his shoulders. Yeah. But I think in that moment, I wanted him to be like, I'm done. I'm not going to carry it anymore because I'm not even like, if you're willing to take this, my best friend's happiness, then I'm giving it all up. Like, what's the point? What's the point? If I can't use this to protect my people. Bye. Bye, bitch. That's who I am. <laughs> We're not going to gr- agree. And just to walk out. She's not going to cause a scene. I've just been she like, just sorry. threats. I'm gone. And are her threats empty? We'll find out. We'll find out yeah, soon. I bet they're not totally empty. And I do think it, it was disappointing for me after the Duchess has that like intense conversation with Rosalie where she reveals like her relationship with Rosalie's mom and she talks about like how bad her marriage is and like how she thinks even Rosalie's mom wouldn't have been happy even if she hadn't made those selfish decisions that she made the Duchess for her to still go on like I know it's part of the time period too and she is doing what she feels is best but for her to be so callous about the feelings of the people she supposedly loves is disappointing yeah but I felt like it was really well written I think but I was like but I like it when a book makes me feel those kinds of emotions yeah yeah so on the vibration scale what do we rate this I feel like we all are gonna come up with the same one for this one oh for this one I would say one yeah Maybe a 1.5. Yeah. Because like I would say the threesome is a little more Different. advanced. Yeah. It's not a normal one like that we've read before, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be willing to give it a two. I'd give it a two. I The highest I go is a 1.5. Yeah. But if we all give 1.5s, that the, it, rounds it does up. give to a two. Okay. So we're going to say like a... Yeah. Hundred percent. Okay. okay, those are two. Some good. I liked it. Okay. Some good. Uh, some good. <laughs> you know what we should have done? It's more like uh, 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 We uh, need to have our husbands uh, make these sounds for the recording. I would never. I, I was would gonna say die. None um, of them. Maybe if I got him high and drunk, <laughs> and then promise like a lot of yeah. oral. Michael drunk would probably do it. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rainy Day Smut Brigade. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was produced by myself, Allie, and Hannah. You can write in book suggestions to the Rainy Day Smut Brigade at gmail.com. And don't forget about our Patreon where we have exclusive content and extras of us making a fool of ourselves. Follow us on Insta at the Rainy Day Smut Brigade to keep up with what we're doing. There we go. Oh, and always. Good sucks to you. A good Channel sex. your inner Rosalie. Sorry. <laughs> and remember, you don't need no man to keep you happy. You need three. You need three. <laughs> a good sex to you. A good, good sex, sex to you. you. Good sex, everybody. We'll see you next time. Down tonight.